and a one, and a two, and a five, six, seven, eight. Hello, and welcome to That Bloody Sex Podcast. I'm Catherine, a period and menstrual health educator. And I'm Millie, a sex and relationships educator. And we talk about all the things you aren't supposed to talk about. Let's get started. Before this episode begins, I just wanted to give a quick heads up that there is some gender binary language used in the context of school classes. So today's episode is about uh, RSE as an NQT. So for anyone that doesn't necessarily understand that jargon I've just used, um, RSE is Relationship and Sex Education, which is taught in schools, and an NQT is a newly qualified teacher, so someone fresh out of uh, teaching school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our guest today, we've got our first ever guest is uh will mason who is an nqt history teacher in secondary schools hello will mason hello 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 very honored to be mr mason mr mason Mason. he also he also happens to be um yeah sorry he also happens to be a very good friend of mine so thanks thanks for joining us today this thanks for asking me on oh you're welcome um so yeah we kind of just wanted to well we'll go into it later but we wanted to have a chat about whether you're you know how you feel about it and that kind of thing and talk a little bit about the guidance the government have given us so um how is everyone this morning i'm not too bad i've got a coffee i'm ready yeah. to go are you feel it feeling awake and ready to attack this yeah let's go let's do it um yeah. millie how are you today i'm very good <laughs> full stop that's that's it is that's, 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 it? Actually the, that's <laughs> the first thing anybody's heard of me and i've just said like four words i'm good yep i've had like a bit of a like a bit of a slow week but a lot of things going on Mm. in my own personal world um seeing as it's now public knowledge do you want to tell people what your big fancy job is that we were talking about on the podcast last week yeah because you had a you had i had someone ask me yeah no (laughs) yeah i had someone like oh that would have been really cool to know it sounded really interesting uh okay i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go into loads of detail i'll go into a little bit yeah um i don't want to lose it (laughs) no uh so you're like a spy or something. Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so for... Well, she couldn't tell you if she was. Yeah, she'd have to kill me. I don't know how to introduce it. So if anybody watches Formula One, I'm now mm-hmm. a track girl. No, I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was, I was like, wait, girl. what? <laughs> Could you imagine me, a track girl? No, <laughs> not me. Um, no, so for anybody that watches Formula One... Um, I will be working at the Silverstone Racetrack for a little while uh, as a sex educator. There's a a college on the racetrack, a university college on the racetrack. And I'm going to be working there. Big deal. Super, I mean, I really haven't bigged that up at all, but it's super, super It's a big deal, yeah. Oh, nice. It's awesome. Nice, congratulations. Thanks so Um, much. Yeah, big congrats. Woo, round of applause, yay. Thank you, thank you. I'm hoping it's my foot in the door for being a track girl. Do is they, that the aim? They don't even have track girls anymore, do they? They're like they got rid of track girls. Did they? Yeah, they. Yeah, yeah they don't have track girls anymore. Yeah. Someone like someone somewhere was like, mm, this probably doesn't really fit with our like modern I, vision anymore. What, Literally half naked women. I say this a lot, and I say this about ring girls for um, boxing matches and fighting matches as well, because my um, boyfriend does MMA, and I've always, I've had this conversation a lot with him. I've been like, I just don't get the point, and he's like, well, if you don't get the yeah. point, like, why are you offended by it? And I'm like, well, I'm not offended by it. I just think like some men that watch it are like adamant that they need their ring girls and i'm like why though <laughs> so Could- my boyfriend's a um an engineer and he's a big big f1 fan so he goes to silverstone every year always has done and um 
we and I was talking to him about it actually a few weeks ago. I was like, I was like, what is the fucking point in a track girl? And um, no, he was like, he was like, the thing is, is that they've taken the girls off the tracks. But what happens is, is when you go into when you first walk into like the arena or whatever, when you can like socialize with loads of other people, there are still track girls walking around there, but they're just not, not on, on the, the track. track. Interesting. Yeah, so they're like they're like not on TV, but they're there for the experience of the people that pay to mm, attend, which is just weird right a bit weird <laughs> but I then i guess it's no different if you're if they're there to enhance the experience of the people that are there i suppose it's actually no different to having like dancers in a club oh uh, yeah it's like mm. go-go dancers right yeah isn't it funny how we define wh- wh- how we define a job based on the context it's in mm. but realistically it's just a job people half naked yeah but we're like if they're on a racetrack what's the point if they're in a club oh i see the point yeah to me Formula One feels like a very... The spectators are predominantly men, I'd say, as a, like a vast generalisation. Yeah. So that, to me, feels like right. the women mm-hmm. are just being put there for the men. So like as an object of the men's attention. Right, and that feels that feel, Yeah, that feels worse than go-go dancers in a club because there's not predominantly men in a club. Do you know what I mean? I also found it really interesting is when they were kind of like fired or let go. Mm. Like a lot of these women were quite incensed by it. They like were genuinely very vocal mm. about how they loved this job and they wanted to mm. do it. That um, is interesting. Which is like really interesting how maybe they didn't see like why it was like mm. potentially like a problematic job to be doing. They just were doing their job. Well, the thing is, is obviously they were let go really recently, right? It was like 2015? Oh, yeah, something like that. Something, yeah, something, something. It was like around that time, so not that long ago. One of my boyfriend's friends is really into the superbikes. Mm. He's in the Yamaha industry and um and he was saying how a lot of these girls that do it do it to get like exposure become like so models become, and stuff. so they can mm. get into the world uh yeah so for them when they lost their jobs they were like oh that's one opportunity taken oh yeah interesting like how people do running for tv oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah like become runners yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. it's getting called. people coffee and I think there's like always two sides to this kind of thing it's like not, yeah, not always like a binary agree. issue what a conversation just kick off the podcast with i know right no, uh, it's very similar to my mum and I were talking about um, the clothing industry and fast fashion mm. because it's like, yes, we don't want to buy fast fashion because of these poor women that aren't getting paid anything. However, there was a documentary about these women and they were like, if I don't work in this factory, I don't have a job. I'm going to be sex trafficked. Oh, I'm going to be sex shit. trafficked. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So it's like oh fuck now what <laughs> it is what? like oh fuck. fuck because also you can't you can't control what that would need is is legislation on the other side of things in the country that these exactly. women are from the... and we can't control that exactly so shit, oh, shit. Like, oh, i wish i could do fucking more the social dilemmas are so difficult <laughs> in this day and age shall we shall we get on to rse do you think we should <laughs> i feel like we, yeah i think that's a really good point no, i feel like we should talk for the majority <laughs> of the podcast about something completely off topic yeah <laughs> um okay so my first question for you will mason Mm -hmm. yep mr mason Uh. actually is how do you feel about teaching rsc because you haven't taught it yet have you Mm, no no i haven't taught it yet no so how how do you feel about it are you Um. are you daunted by it or (laughs) for the listener's benefit will just had his head in his hands he did (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah you i forgot you can see me (laughs) How how do you feel? I th- I was having this conversation actually with a a group of like other NQTs and newly qualified mm. teachers. Um, and I mm. think there is like this like pervasive feeling of like da- um yeah doubt and um yeah yeah maybe slightly like anxious, nervous about it. Um, yeah. But like, there's loads of different reasons why. Um, 
I think the Let's first go one into is, them. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I think the first one is like, uh, first of all, I'm not really sure what RSE is. I've never been taught how to teach it. I don't know what I would teach. Uh, and and I also think there's that whole whole kind of like I wish I wish you could all like feel the temperature of my blood just increase. Yes. I know <laughs> it's it infuriating. I suddenly wanted to march down to Parliament. Because did you did you know this? Because I before I before Will was an NQT, yeah, I, did. I didn't know that teachers don't get training. I'm just going to repeat yeah. that. Teachers don't get training to teach RSE. I did know um, this. I didn't know I that did before know Will was a teacher. It's actually what made me want to uh, start teaching. Amazing. During my uh, my first placement, we had a there's like um they have a PHSE curriculum, which is obviously like physical, physical, social, emotional, mental health. Mm. Um, and they basically they either most schools they either do it like a set like an hour lesson every two weeks, or they do a block of a day every month, and they just have the kids have like five hours of PHSE. Right. Um, and we had a PHSE day in my first placement. You know, as a PGC trainee, I was learning to teach. Um, and my, I remember my mentor like telling me like, don't go into any of these lessons. Like, there's like they're not really related to your subject. You won't really learn oh anything. Um, she was like, oh, just take the five hours free and and do the work you need to do. And I think <sighs> at the time I was like, great, like I've got loads to do. I don't need to see this. Yeah. But like, obviously, in reflection, I missed out on like a massive amount of learning from that yeah. time. But like, Hugely. it's just yeah, it just shows the attitude. It's, it so does definitely neglected. show the attitude of the fact that it's not taken seriously by, I think, the people that yeah. um, govern and run the education system, which is a huge shame because it's, in my opinion, one of the most important for your adult life, one of the most important and valuable lessons you can learn is about relationship and sex education. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, personally, personally, I think PSHE is, is the most valuable thing in, in education, mm. personally. Yeah, because I remember in my PSHE classes, I was taught about taxes. Yeah, yeah. and I was taught about mortgages sure, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just like obviously like sexual, like relationships and sexual health and all that kind of thing. Mm. It's also like lots of genuinely valuable life skills that like no yeah. one actually bothers to teach kids outside of that. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll go into it in a little minute. Um, in a little minute. It's um, a little minute. But in a little in minute. A little <laughs> but the um, the guidance. So for anyone that listening that doesn't know, from this academic year, it's now mandatory to teach for schools to teach uh, RSE in England. It's only England, isn't it, Millie? Uh, yeah, only England. Scotland and Wales have got their own little thing going on. So for all the Instagrammers putting RSE is now mandatory in the UK, it's not true. Get your facts straight. It's not true. <laughs> Don't piss me off like that, man. <laughs> anyway, go on, carry on. Um, I've actually completely forgotten what I was going to say now. That there hadn't been a reform for 20 years? The the last curriculum was in the year 2000? Hasn't been reformed for 20 years? 20 and years? shit that is. 20 years. And they're reviewing it every three years, right? After teaching? Um, they are. They are. Um, apart from, there's obviously this grace period with COVID, which mm. gave schools a bit of leeway. So they don't have to start teaching till. So when? they have. So they. So Ofsted have said you have to have a plan. In, you have a, a, a plan ready by January, mm. um, and you have to be teaching it by June when it was meant to be September. But yeah, so there is guidance for schools. Okay, like um, I wouldn't be able to tell you at all what that would say or what it is. I was just about to say, have you no, have you seen any no. of it? Will you go looking for it before your first RSE lesson, or will your school have? have materials that they I think it's likely you. that um and as is the like fashion with most schools at the moment is there'll be someone some sort of teacher or member staff that's responsible for making the RSC curriculum and they'll just give me the lessons right um, but I don't know like I don't okay. know who that person is or do you know if they'll have any they'll have any training I have no idea RSC. like yeah I don't know um can I this interject? makes me stressed yeah of course you can uh so there's obviously the peer so with most schools this is how I 
know of it being carried out. There's the PSHE lead, who a lot of people have had added onto their title RSE lead. Yeah. Right. And and it's unknown whether they get training on that or whether they're self-taught. Mm. So it's com- yeah. no one, actually no one knows. So that probably, I'm assuming that will mean that some schools will have their... T- them trained if it's their like prerogative and others it's also like the person who gets that job it could be one of two people it could be like a really switched on passionate like member of staff or it could be just some random person who wants the extra teaching and learning responsibility that's what's so frustrating to me is that there's going to be such a disparity in the quality and level of of sex ed that kids get in school depending on just who's in charge of it and that's that's what i think is utterly ridiculous um for any schools that are listening it says in the guidance that um, it's recommended that you get external agencies in. Just promoting. I.e. RSE with Millie. I'm just saying. <laughs> because teachers don't fucking like it. Teachers that have to teach sex ed that don't get taught about sex ed or any training on how to teach it don't like it. Like, I've spoken to a lot of teachers that have been like, yeah, imagine getting told you have to teach a subject that isn't your subject, that you have no knowledge in, and is really fucking important to the kids and then you just get told yeah. off you go yeah. i would feel uncomfortable about that like my basic basic instinct is if i have received no training in how to do it properly and how to do it sensitively and that i would feel mm. uncomfortable doing that um yeah, yeah it for would sure. be difficult i also think there's if you have teachers that feel like that because you both will be able to answer this but am i right in saying that generally all teachers will have to teach like some sort of PSHE lesson, likely, right? Yeah. yeah. Most teachers are form tutors. Like I'm, I'm a form tutor for a year seven class, um, and I do all of their piece. Mm. I like I'm delivering at the moment all of their PCSSE, like. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know PC. PSHE, isn't it? PSHE, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, I'm delivering all of their content at the moment, but like right now, obviously, like they're at their first stage in year seven, so it's just like literally like welcome to school, like. How is school different to primary school? Um, and I was having this conversation mm. with someone like, the, right now they're like nice, innocent year sevens. And I'm dreading the, the lesson where I had to teach them about like RSE just because I would feel so uncomfortable. But I also just guarantee I know they're going to be so immature about it. Mm. I think like also, because what drives me mad as well about the fact that um, teachers get no training is that you're going to have teachers probably a fair amount of teachers that are going to be uncomfortable with the subject and aren't going to be confident teaching it. And then how can you expect ch- the next generation to grow up feeling confident and yeah, comfortable no, absolutely. talking about it and being in charge of their own bodies and making like setting their own boundaries and stuff it's like, like a that. cycle. I just think like you're right. That's a good point. Actually, like completely. if teachers aren't confident, kids won't be confident. Their kids won't be confident. Mm. Right. And it just keeps going. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is why, um, Millie, you were saying last week about wanting to do work experience for... Oh, yeah, it's one of um, my goals. ...being able to have kids to do work experience with you. And I think that... I, for sure. Yeah, I think that's why that's such a good idea. But also, not even that. I think that, I think that on a level, schools should invest in teacher-wide RSE training. Yeah. Or commit to having an external body like yourself. Exactly. Because you'll you'll get like Will said, you'll just have teachers who are unconfident. Then you'll have yeah. students who are like, well, I'm pretty sure I was told to do this by my teacher, but I'm not 100% sure because they weren't given proper mm. training. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, if, they, if, if kids have any questions that are outside of what's on the guidance, which is <laughs> fucking nothing, by the way, um, how are they going to answer them? They're going to be like, oh, sorry, no idea. So I've done, I've seen this done like really interesting, like this, but one specific way that I saw when I was a um I was a TA for a year before I trained 
Um, and the teacher did something which I thought at the time was a great idea, but actually now no, it's to be a terrible idea. Is um he split the class? It was a year seven class into oh. like, boys and girls, and the girls went off oh. with a girl teacher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the boys went off with like like him, the boy teacher. Um, and at the time I was like, great, like they've got their own personal spaces to to mm. discuss their own personal stuff. But actually, for understanding between like the two different like sexes, like there's absolutely no way that they're going to gain an understanding about what like girls go through. Yeah, I agree. What, I think like that, equally as well, like girls aren't going to get an understanding of, of boys' sexual health as well. Like, yeah, I think dangerous. it's, I, so the big thing I always, um, when I'm talking about mental health education specifically, they usually get that in primary school or they start to get it a bit of it in primary school. Yeah. And I always say, cause they do that in primary school, they split up the class and they have the girls learning about periods and they have the boys learning about their dicks. And I think, um, <laughs> that's they don't cross over the education and i think at the very least if you are splitting them up both should get both informations for empathy and support of the other sex but i also think that on some level um until that stigma is the stigma and embarrassment and shame um across the sexes is kind of gone there is going to be an issue with uh girls and boys not asking questions that they would ask in a single sex class as opposed to in a mixed class. So, so I think similarly with having bi- gender binary classes, you're forgetting about intersex kids, um, gender fluid kids, transgender yeah. kids. You might have a, mm-hmm. you yeah, might have completely. A, uh, a young boy who transitioned when he was very, very young, who is go- who may mm. have periods and you've put them in a class yeah. with a load of boys where they're not getting taught about periods. Teaching them about yeah it's just completely. it's bonkers it's absolutely nuts i think there's um there's there's a lot to be done <laughs> For sure. i think it's that with the, the two decades later reform i think the yeah. fantastic thing about it is that teachers are hopefully realizing ah we can't just keep things girl boy girl boy girl boy forever that's it's a bit dated isn't it i mean i'm seeing will that on your because you use this you use zoom for teaching classes right yeah and i'm seeing that you've got will mason he him on your name yes yeah is that something you're taught in school actually interestingly i know like obviously catherine you know this but i i have worked over the past like four summers at uh, an american Mm -hmm. summer camp um and this year obviously camp was cancelled very sad and um we did it all online um and i was asked by them to change my name but this Mm. This kind of language is very popular in the US, but like there would be no pressure whatsoever. Like people would say it was strange if I did this, if I was teaching kids using like here, like at mm. school. Like, yeah. So this isn't from school in the UK, it's from Oh, um, interesting. US. I think it's it cool is. though. Like I think yeah, leave no. it on. Okay, well. Because <laughs> if you've got any like, um, it is good because if you're having kids that are, you know, questioning their gender identity, yeah. it's- No, um, definitely. It's, a po- it's positive for them, I, um, isn't it? I had a question um, about- like there's always been again this is like slightly straying off topic but um there's been a lot of controversy recently like very recently about the teaching and the extent of teaching about rse in primary schools um there's been like mm. a lot of alarmist stuff in the media about you know lots of parents are like terrified and and, and disgusted like how dare we teach you know year four year five year six kids about their own bodies how dare um, you sexualize like, my yeah. children but like thing is yeah. i like I think Catherine probably may have told you this, but I'm not like I define myself like politically as quite central, and I do think that there's a potential there for 
like going over the line. This is actually something Millie and I were talking about just before you came on was about the line, um, the nuances, I suppose. And I don't actually know what the content looks like. Like, first of all, I re- like you read all this crap in the newspaper. I've got it in, fr- I've got it in front of like, me. Kids to touch themselves. While Millie, while Millie's like answering that. this, I'll have a look at some. Yeah. Of this stuff. So for primary schools, it's it's more of a focus on relationships. So you're looking at familial relationships, friendships, um, developing of your body. Um, that kind of thing. You're less focused mm. on sexually transmitted infections or oh, and periods, and you're less focused yeah. on things like things like that. But parents, they hear sex edu- sex education, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're going to teach my kid how to have sex? Are you serious? They're eight years old, mm. and it's like, yeah. no, actually." In primary school, it's relationships and health education. And then when you get into secondary school, it turns into relationships and sex education because between 11 and 16, parents have the right to withdraw. In Mm. primary school, you you just learn about relationships, you just learn about friendships. But because schools, in the guidance, it says that they have to publish a RSE policy, right? If schools are not consulting parents about their RSE policy, RSE is a sensitive subject. If you're not consulting with parents, you're not doing it right. Sure. And then... Because they then don't know what goes into the policy and then they don't get notified when it's been published, they they hear, mummy, we did sex education at school today and they're thinking, uh, is this fucking serious? <laughs> yeah. I've not been told about this. I've not been informed about this. What are they learning? How far are they going to learn about it? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it's also yeah. interesting that that kind of alarmist idea from the parents probably also stems from their insufficient sexual education from when they were at school. Like, they never That's got so a quality true. education. So they think that sex education means, you know, teaching my kid how to have sex or you exactly. know, all those kind of things. When actually it's not. It's just, like you said, familial relationships. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm literally looking at the primary ed section of it now and it doesn't even mention talking about sex the only thing it says is it mentions about families and this is the bit i've seen a lot of people kicking off about is um it says families of many forms provide a nurturing environment for children families can include for example single parent families lgbt parents families headed by grandparents adopted parents foster carers that's the one that's something i've seen the most kick off about is people complaining about the teaching of lgbt parents and, and family systems and that pisses me off as well because if you're taking that out you're basically completely eradicating the fact that there are lgbt families at all i just i cannot see what would be wrong with teaching kids about you know same-sex relationships and how you can have a stable same-sex like family like i know what why would that again like because how does it affect and like how does it affect that child what you're saying is these families exist and are and are perfectly healthy and normal and how is that how how does that have any effect on that kid (laughs) yeah and how many children's mental health is that going to improve because they're not going to feel stigmatized and pressured or shamed into coming out and then they're going to think i'm never going to have a successful or if they have same-sex parents or you know they're they have a family that's an a family member that's an lgbt parent or something like that and they haven't haven't been taught about and they've been taught about all these other kinds of family units Mm -hmm, and they're going mm -hmm. well why haven't you mentioned my uncle jerry or you know my mum or my dad or whatever um preach it's it's (laughs) preach (laughs) yeah it is uh it is a joke. Like to it's... to get inside their minds, I think they probably see this as some sort of like teaching of a, a, a terrible ideology and that you're trying yeah. to like brainwash my kids, which again, is just like, 
Yeah. Like I think stuff. I think Millie, you're absolutely right in the fact that it'll be when there's kind of a breakdown in communication between the school and the parents, and yeah. they haven't been kind of um, explicitly informed about what their their kids are going to be learning about and when. One hundred percent. I tell any school that I'm, I work with, I say to them, I'm not I'm not teaching until the parents have seen the policy. I'm yeah. not doing that because then if mm. if somebody comes and says to me you taught them this i was never informed that's not my fault yeah no do you see what i mean for sure so 100 percent. i think schools need to it says in the pot it says in the guidance so if they're not doing it on their heads it says in the guidance it's the only thing that is clear in the guidance (laughs) (laughs) literally how to craft the policy is the only thing clear because it's the only thing they know how to fucking do in that houses of parliament (laughs) and even that they can't do well am i right anyway Um, yeah it says in it says in the guidance how to write the policy Mm. write it by consulting the parents so that they can Mm. make it curate it so that it you know meets the needs of the community that you serve if you're Mm. not giving parents that opportunity to involve themselves they are going to be against you teaching it end of story regardless whatever you're teaching as well like even if you had the most progressive parents in the world they're probably going to be a bit shitty if you don't have a chat with them about what you're teaching their kid especially um, about sex education especially yeah. 100%. yeah I completely agree 100% question um, number three <laughs> <laughs> sorry I could feel myself getting heated on <laughs> this is uh why we're having this chat though as soon as I got into kind of like this the menstrual health sex ed world and first asked Will about whether he had training and stuff like that this is exactly the kind of conversation I wanted to wait until it was like a public conversation mm. because um, I think it's really interesting and not something people know. I think I had no, and like I said, until I until Will was a teacher, I had no idea that teachers didn't get training on this. Well, what did you do at undergrad? Uh, history. History. And then you, so did you do your PGC, PGC in secondary history? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got lots of amazing training on how to be an excellent history teacher, but pretty much nothing apart from that. Will went to Cambridge. Well, you, did, you did history at Cambridge or no. your PGC at Cambridge? No, I had PGC. Ah, right. Um, yes. And also, it's like Cambridge, is, it's the university is quite left-wing in itself, so I was kind of expecting a lot of really progressive like training on how to be a really holistic teacher, um, but I got nothing. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. Do better, Cambridge. I know, right? Yeah. Do, be- do better. Let's every call them out. PGC yeah, provider. I'd like to call out. <laughs> I'd like to call out the providers of um the the genuinely excellent um PGC at Cambridge University. Um, you need to teach your trainees better about how to teach Everyone, like RSE. I do not understand how there is not one even one lecture or one bit of writing that you have to learn. Wait, let me think back. I don't read. I don't want to call them out and then then be like, "Well, we did teach you this." But if it's I feel like if if you had it would be something you'd remember. Yeah. You'd be like, "Do you know what I mean?" We did loads of stuff if on, I went... on on kind of inclusion and, you know, students with autism and stuff like that. But um but yeah, which is brilliant. Yeah, no, it is, but nothing on nothing on that kind of thing. Thing. yeah no not really <laughs> does uh, do either of you know if the each pgc provider or um like teaching qualification provider sets out their own curriculum themselves is that how unis work uh yes there's a certain set like there's guidelines um right in terms of contact hours and uh, okay. amount of time you have to be in school um Fine. and in in terms of the the curriculum like the subject we're broadly taught how to teach the national curriculum but okay. there's no necessarily again i don't actually know this i think there's no guideline specifically on 
the, okay. the type of things that they need to teach us. Interesting. I was going to say, in my whole undergraduate degree of education studies, I did not have a single lecture on sex education. So I'd be very surprised if PGCE students did. Mm. It's absolute bollocks, Ugh. isn't it? Absolutely. I'm not surprised at all. Before you did your PGCA or during your PGCA, Mm -hmm. did you have it? Did you give any thought to the fact that you'd have to teach RSA, or was it not something you kind of considered until afterwards? I, like I said, I'd worked as a TA before, um, Mm. and so I didn't actually sit in on it. Oh no, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat in in some some PHSE like lessons, um, but also some science lessons as well, where they maybe go a little bit more in depth into the human biology. but yeah, so I had given a little bit of thought to it, but like mm. it's there's a there's a difference between like giving thought to it and then being being like, trained in it, being trained and and yeah, and then coming to teach it like a, yeah. as a teacher. Definitely. How that's an interesting question, think... actually. Thank you. <laughs> because, no, because I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how many PGCE students like do think their about it? Yeah, and then think, oh, I wonder what else I'm gonna have to teach. Oh shit, I have to teach sex ed. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, exactly. Um, I know because when I was at school, there were loads of teachers who were like PE teachers, but they do PSHE and things like that. Do yeah, you know I mean? it was like, it was actually quite often um, PE teachers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was Mr. Moody. Shout out Mr. Moody as well. You were fit. You were fit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually going to ask one of my questions later on, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to do it. Is um, do we, any of you have specific memories of your sex ed at school? Yes. Yeah, a lot of laughter and a lot of being silly and mm. like teachers not really taking it very seriously. Yes, um, yes, couldn't interesting. agree more actually. Like I have this like very specific and vivid memory of where I it was a, like again it was a female teacher um and again like i was in a they split us all up it was girls and then boys um and then it was like a female teacher in a class of like and the, the teacher she was really like really old and i'm not saying that's a bad thing but she clearly just didn't want to be there and i think mm. i was in year eight and she was like okay i think she said i've got a curriculum but actually what we're going to do is i'm going to give you all a little piece of paper and you're going to write a question on the piece of paper and then put it all in the jar and then for the rest of the lesson we're just going to read out the and i'll answer the questions and those stupid questions and, Oh, there were all stupid questions. Because like, also was, at that I, point, you haven't you haven't told the kids anything that might lead to any questions. You've no, just yeah, gone, yeah, exactly. what questions can you come up with your own brain? And they'll probably be like, well, I have no idea. I don't know what yeah. anything involves. But also, I I also think there's probably, it's really important when you come to teach like this kind of thing to really set the tone really early to say yeah, we're so not true. we're not gonna you know we're not joke around this is a serious conversation we're gonna have and this is an opportunity for you to to, to learn something mm. about yourselves that you probably don't have the opportunity to do at home but like there was none of that and yeah it was literally like a room of 30 boys that took it not seriously there was as they would i remember my my main memory of of having sex ed was i, I mean i remember learning about periods in the music room in a school full of in a class full of girls at primary school and it kind of just being a video and then them going this is what a tampon looks like this is what a pad looks like did, see, did you see have ya. the whole did you have the whole they put the tampon in the in the cup of water and then you got horrified no you thought it was going to expand that <laughs> no i didn't you. have that <laughs> oh no <laughs> um i also remember them vividly saying which i come back to all the time now and i'm pissed about i remember them going some people get bad period pains and some people don't which we spoke about on the last episode and fucked me off because get out of town get out of town Wait, right. explain it to me again okay so um for you willie yeah uh that is is incredibly harmful and incorrect because um the problem with that is that you shouldn't have bad period pain so um if you have bad period pain to the point where you can't do your normal life and or any mm. period symptoms really that interfere with your 
day-to-day life that is cause for concern and you should see a doctor because there might be something underlying so there was none of that information when I was at school I don't know what well I mean from the guidance they still don't do it now but there's there was no um setting out what is considered normal in terms of symptoms and what you should see a doctor for um, and what potentially might be going on. So when I started being in agony from periods and went to the doctor and they were like, oh yeah, you just have bad period pains, we'll put you on the pill and we'll give you some painkillers. I didn't think anything of it until Hmm. nearly a decade later. So basically giving a whole group of girls the expectation that it's perfectly acceptable for them to live in pain. Exactly, which is Oh, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. That is a really good... You're so smart. It's not really bad. It's not good, is it? No. No, it's, it's really bad. Imagine, yeah. um, but my my key memory of sex ed in secondary school was we had this fantastic um, humanities teacher called Mr. Johnson. Loved you, Mr. Johnson. He was amazing. All humanities teachers are fantastic. It's a little known fact. Absolutely not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I know. But he took a lot of the... I think he must have been the PSHE lead, thinking about it now. Um, but he did a lot of like the great global citizenship and stuff like that. And he taught a sex ed class. And I do actually remember it being mixed. It was boys and girls. Um And what he did at the beginning was he kind of came in and was like, right, this is what we're talking about today. Um, For the first kind of like five, 10 minutes, I just want you to tell me all the different kinds of words you know about vaginas, boobs and penises. And we can have a good old giggle. And then once that's done, that's done. And we're going to talk about it like adults. Um, And it was, it was, it worked really well because we did all like have a big old giggle and get it all out of our system. He was laughing about it with us. Um, And then as soon as that, he was like, he wrote all the like silly words on the board, like fanny and front bottom and stuff like that. And then... And um, as soon as it was over, he was like, okay, that's it now. We're, we're adult. I'm going to treat you like an adult now. I'm going to talk to you like adults and I expect you to behave like adults. Um, and it was, that was, that's the only sex ed class I remember. And there was no laughing after that. There was, that was it. I was going to say, it's a really good way of building respect as well. Yeah, I completely 100%. agree. Because I, I, I still now teacher... have a lot of respect for him. I, yeah, he's 100%. one of the teachers I look back on and I'm like, yeah, big props to you, Mr. Johnson. Yeah, thank you for also, making us all laugh at the word fanny. Like, yeah, thank you so exactly. much. It's also like, it's good because it's acknowledging that it's okay for these words to be funny. Like some of them are funny yeah, words. So true. Um, and, but they all like sit <laughs> above the, like the reality. And so you get all those funny yeah. words out and then like yeah. there's the expectation that now we're going to actually yeah. talk about And then this, from then right? on as well, he only used, you know, the proper terminology, vagina, vulva, yeah. penis, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and none, none of the like silly... Um, front bottom or private parts or any of that so um that's something that really stands out to me so I think I was quite lucky in the respect that I mean there's a lot of stuff missed that would have just been not on the you know guidance or curriculum or whatever at the time but in terms of how he laid out the lesson I thought he did a really really good job yeah so thanks thanks Mr Johnson thanks Mr Johnson big up Mr Johnson yeah I see thing is as well is like that's exactly what I'm gonna do when I come to teach it now like that's such a smart thing mm. to do are you, are you taking Mr Johnson's idea now yeah I'm gonna steal it thanks Mr it's Johnson it's an excellent thanks, idea Mr. Yeah, Johnson. Very good. one teacher to another um Millie do you have any specific memories of your sex I ed? do and mine's really crap um <laughs> of course what did we expect from a Swindon school um <laughs> uh... <laughs> no shade but also shade uh, well, technically, it was on the outskirts, so it was like a countryside. School. Anyway, whatever. The burbs. Um, oh God, yeah. Anyway, the um, so our sex ed class was with a biology teacher, but she just she it wasn't in a biology lesson. It was it was a PSHE lesson, but it was a biology mm. teacher, right? Yeah. And um, she was one of the what some would say fitter teachers of the school. Okay. 
Me, she was she was just young. She was just a young woman. That's the classic, isn't it? If you have a young teacher, they're always going to be fit to the kids. Yeah, hundred percent. Anyone under the age of like forty. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's like is that ooh. is that happen all the time? <laughs> I I genuinely think that when you're at school, you think teachers are fit just because they're young. When actually, like you you'll look back and be like, wouldn't find what them attractive the now. I am. Um, I get kids to guess my age sometimes, which is. Depressing. Do they say like a hundred? <laughs> Yeah, they're always like like thirty five. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, oh, we're interrupting you now, Millie. Please go ahead. Yeah, so she was considered one of the like fitter people in school, and she had it was classic STI lesson. She had to put a condom on a plastic blue penis, mm. and because um, everyone's penis is blue, and um, she was doing <laughs> it, and she was like, she was like pinching the tip and rolling it out, but she was like looking like. It was like, oh come on, just roll you need to it explain down. Explain what that look was to people that can't see you. Oh yeah, so basically she was like pinching the tip, rolling it down, and like looking around the class, like mm, like cheeky. Yeah, like a yeah. That's fucking weird. That is that is fucking weird. No, but kind of like not in like a sexy way, in like a <laughs> let's all giggle kind of way. Like mm. that's not good enough. Oh uh, yeah, what's it like inviting the silliness? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Like, oh, let's all be silly about this. And I remember just being sat there, like, I'll just get on with it. <laughs> just get on with it. It was really crap. And mm. then I can't remember doing that lesson. Yeah, that's the lesson I had Mr. Johnson for. Um, I was going to say, yeah, that must have been the same lesson because then we did the whole, like, yeah. um, this is actually the real word. Yeah, we did that. We did, I remember him, it was, um, I remember the very classroom um, and that's the lesson we did, rolling a condom down on a blue penis. Mm. Was it blue as well? Yeah, ours was blue. There was Are some they all blue? blue. There were, there, no, there were different colours. There was, like, blue, um, one of them was black, I think one of them was red. Um, there were different colours. Different tables had different colours. Oh, see, no, there was just one demonstration and that was it. Oh, we no, we got we got we got plastic penises on our table and condoms and then um I think he was like he got kids to do it without demonstrating and then he demonstrated and was like Oh, y'all, oh that's a good way. Y'all did this wrong. <laughs> just to say for any um Good. teachers listening you can't do that now with covid unfortunately oh, and God. there were probably kids like stretching out the top and then just like putting it over like a tent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or putting it like holding it like a cup and then like tipping the penis up and putting it in like who knows <laughs> completely unraveling it blowing yeah. it up yeah. <laughs> there's all sorts of ways you can put a penis <laughs> a penis on a condom no a condom on a penis um, but then, um, and then at the end of that lesson, no, 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 sorry, after the penis thing, we then had to, it was really weird. We all then had to list as many STIs as we knew in groups of like I six. think we did oh, that weird. as well. Yeah. And like, the, there was, was I remember, about? when when I remember learning about STIs, I remember learning, um, and this is another big kind of problem with that. And this, again, isn't Mr. Johnson's fault. This is just what was taught at the time and like what was on the list of stuff to do. Um, but you got taught, these are the STIs. These are the ones that are incurable and you'll have forever and they're the worst things you should and you should never get these ones. And then mm. these are the ones that can leave you infer- infertile. Um, wow, yeah. I did not get that. That would have saved my life. But there was, <laughs> I did yeah. not get that. But I think there's, there's, again, there was no... Do you know what? They're actually really common. Uh, even if you get one that's kind of um, incurable, quote unquote, uh, they're all treatable yeah. now. Like there's, there was none of... It's something I felt very... Um, anxious about and a lot of kind of internalized shame towards the idea of STIs for a a long time and I think that's another part of the lesson that should 
there should just be so another part of the um rsc guidance from the government that i wanted to briefly touch upon is the fact that it says it talks about making sure you speak uh with no stigma towards mental health um but there's no mention of not talking about stis with the same absence of stigma um which i think is vastly unfair because they're both stigmatized in a very similar way yeah yeah 100% couldn't agree more do I was gonna say do you think you have a strategy where when you end up approaching it or is are are you sticking to stealing Mr Johnson's bit well i didn't have a strategy before but now, now we've, you like, do <laughs> it's funny like now we've discussed this not even for a small, like a large amount of time i do have mm. a strategy for it that's so um, interesting yeah so this this conversation's benefited you i know it has benefited me hopefully it's benefited lots of other teachers in my position as well i don't know how many people mm. are listening to this but but yeah there'll probably be some sort of prescribed way i'm supposed to teach it um but like maybe that'll be good maybe it'll be bad but like if it's mm. bad that's what i'll do um do what do you hope um and what do you think is it is important for students to get out of sex ed? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thank I, you. Oh, that is a good question. I like that one. Like, I think this get this two words get used a lot, and I'm not really sure what they mean. But like this idea of a, a healthy relationship, um, you know, what does a healthy relationship look like? What does an unhealthy relationship with someone look like? Mm. Um, and how to avoid and how to um, like elevate yourself or get out of an unhealthy relationship? Like, obviously, like the mechanics of sexual intercourse as well, like. I know it's like a really like technical way of saying it, but like they need to know mm-hmm. how to have sex like safely. Um, yeah. Like like when to have sex, who to have sex with, and who not to have sex with. Like. Um, yeah. Some body positivity. Um, yeah, like stuff Snaps like that. Snaps for Will. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't I... looking for like validation, <laughs> but I'll <Yeah>. take it. <laughs> Validate me. Um, yeah, I would like to be comfortable in their own bodies. Um, mm. I think that's a, a big one for me is that I wish they felt confident and comfortable you know in their knowledge about sex and relationships also that they didn't carry any shame and stigma because Mm. i think that can be hugely damaging um is it is a really good question but like i think it's forced me to think really carefully about why we even Mm. do it in school so my well my next question was about was going to be um what the what you guys think the most important part of sex ed is but i wonder if that's kind of been covered in the same in that question no actually i am curious if you had one if you had one lesson yeah that you thought so say you had however many other teachers and you all got to pick a lesson that you wanted to teach which one would you say i want to teach this one because this is most important in my eyes mine would be consent really Mm. not periods well no (laughs) because while (laughs) that they're very important to me and a big deal Mm. um i feel like consent just feels like a much bigger thing um and i think consent issues around consent can lead to a lot of trauma for a long time and someone's whole life um and i think that almost everyone or at least every woman i know um has experiences that they didn't realize were harassment or abuse until after the fact potentially years after the fact and that i think in itself is quite traumatic realizing that you've been through something um that is really damaging um and i think knowing that beforehand is could have saved many years of of issues yeah so that would be that would be mine is is consent that's a good one thank you it's a really good one (laughs) I'm trying to think. I actually have. A, I welcome. actually have absolutely no idea which, like, 
I wouldn't say before this I attached any personal like importance to this to- topic. Mm. So I'm not I'm not really sure which one I would like prefer to teach. I obviously think it's really important. I think maybe like healthy, like the idea of this idea of a healthy relationship is incredibly mm. important. I think um, that ties into consent as well. I yeah, think that's, they're very similar, um, similar ones. But I think, yeah, I think you're, I think that's a good one. What would you say, Millie? I don't know. I've got a toss up in my head. Uh, so I've got three. How incredible! We did tell you to pick, only I'm pick one. I'm taking three. You told, in fact, you said you, you can only <laughs> pick one and now you're picking three. I, I, who the hell do I think I am? Um, I know I've got three. Um, however, one of them, I would elect another person to talk about. Mm. Oh yeah, I wouldn't talk about the consent thing. I'd, but I think that's the most important one. Oh, would you one. not? You would, you think that's the most important one? But I'd, if okay. I was going to teach one, I'd teach about menstru- menstrual health, obviously. But if, in, in terms of what I think is the most important one is, I think it's consent. Consent, right. Um, one that I think is incredibly important, but I wouldn't want to teach because I feel I'm not the right person to teach mm. it, is FGM, female genital mm. mutilation. It's spoken Ooh. about a lot in the guidance. Interesting. Oh. I was just, that was me exclaiming my interest in it. Ooh. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a really, really good one. I have taken a module in my master's which touches on FGM and I, I purely took it because I want to know more mm. because I feel so un- uneducated about it. And it happens right here in England. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But yeah, I think that's a big one. But I would not be qualified to teach it. But I think it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, two, consent, 100%. Mm. Um, and also all the things that interplay with consent. So um, I'm doing a lesson on for um, sixth formers. I'm doing a lesson on um, under the influence. So having sex yeah. under the influence. Which yeah. is incredibly important. So I'm doing it for sixth formers because if they go to university, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think it's incredibly important. And I think coercion as well, like, it gets 100%. involved. When, yeah, when I said consent, I literally mean anything. Yeah. Like, um, stealthing, coercion, um, yeah. under the influence, all of all of that. Stealthing, for anyone that doesn't know, by the way, is when um, someone uh, with a penis takes their condom off during sex without letting the other person know sick um and then my third one is um stis but not but not like but not like don't get them but just like the information yeah like i said i was um impressed by the fact that mr johnson taught you about um untreated stis could do that's so impressive the most common symptom for stis any sti is no symptom at all interesting um so the majority of people who get STIs don't have any symptoms. So the, yeah, I think the importance of testing regularly and when you should test, because I think we were told that, you know, it's good to get tested, but we weren't told you should get tested after every new partner and then every, what um, is it, once a year after that? Right. It depends. If you're in a serious relationship every six months. But no, okay. Sorry, not serious relationship, long-term relationship. But if you're in a relationship that's like polyamorous or open, then yeah more frequently yeah so that's that's something i didn't know yeah no i agree (laughs) um is kind of how often you should be tested and the um i think with with stis i think like a lot of young people i it was something i definitely like buried my head in the sand with i was like don't need to a lot of people only only get tested if slash when they get symptoms and that's quite concerning when you hear that that yeah the most common symptom is no symptom at all scary 
It's, it's, but it's not scary because if you do get an STI, they're all treatable and manageable. Uh, especially now. Shout out NHS and PrEP. Yeah, for sure. Do you want, do you want to explain now. a bit what PrEP is for anyone that doesn't know? Oh, sure. Pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's uh, for um, people who are at risk of uh, contracting HIV. Uh, it's available on the NHS as of last month, the 14th or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so for example, like someone whose partner has HIV and um, means they don't contract it, right? Oh, nice. I thought you said NHS and Pret, like Pret and Manger, <laughs> the sandwich store. Shout I was out like, to Pret and Manger. <laughs> yeah. Doing the most to tackle STIs. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a specific bit of the guidance I wanted to read, which obviously is the bit about menstruation. Unless anyone has other things to talk about in terms um, of sex. I have some uh, some like weird, funny stories about children's reactions in previous situations where. Go on. Um, Let's go. Just where they've been really immature, and I've had like interesting conversations with children, and, and like I've really gone to the bottom mm. of like the taboo of it. Um, so like science class, it's biology, year seven. Um, I'm a TA and uh, I'm actually a TA for these two boys and then this will sound bad but they're just very like childish like incredibly immature and we were doing about like menstruation and like, the, the cycle and like vaginas and all that kind of thing um, and they literally couldn't stand in the room they're like oh it's disgusting it's gross like they wouldn't do any of the work um, and I sat them both outside and had a really interesting conversation with them um, like tried to ask them like why it was gross um, mm. And they were like, and I, they they basically explained like, why would we ever want to see that? Like that's disgusting. And I was like, is it disgusting though? It's like our bodies, like we have parts of your body, like girls have parts of their body. It's not like anything to be like disgusted at. Um, and yeah, they like saw the point of view, but it was just like so. I'm so proud of you it, right now. It was it was just really frustrating. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I think, and also that because um, how old were these kids? Eleven, yeah. first year. Uh, year seven. First year. First year. The first year. First no first years <laughs> in the corridors. Um, <laughs> do you work at Hogwarts? Oh. Um, I think that um, is a lot to do with the fact that because in secondary school, in yeah. primary school, uh, girls will have had that information about periods already. And I think that just goes to show the fact that if you leave it, if you don't introduce boys to it i'm using boys in quotes yeah um then that that's why there is such a stigma around it with with men and boys um particularly when they're young because it's not something they know about it's not something they they're, they're everything about it and the way it's taught is telling them that it's secret and it's only for menstruators yeah but it's also this idea that it's gross it's like they've never they've kind of almost been indoctrinated like you said to see Com- that this yeah. is to see to see this is something that is taboo and that is is gross um and 100% it was really interesting to have a conversation with them because there's actually nothing that they could describe to me like why actually is this gross i think mm. one of them said like like there's blood and i was like you have blood inside your body like like again i also like, think that a lot of the kind of grossness and feeling of of the stigma and the taboo comes from the fact that periods and i want to do a podcast entirely on this is the fact that periods have been um sexualized for so many for so long and so many years because a bit just because of where it comes out of just because it comes out of the vagina and the vulva um and i think that's an entirely different issue and that's because of the sexualization of um of body parts yeah no absolutely i know um my mum's husband doesn't like it when when we talk about mm. periods and he's in yeah. his 50s 
and it makes me wonder if um some of what people get taught about periods and how you should keep it hush hush and and how people who don't have periods should be squeamish mm. yeah i wonder if a lot of it is just taught as opposed to them actually being like yeah that's gross they've just been told yeah exactly i think not. that's exactly true and, and, and they've they been told that yeah they've been told that it shouldn't be discussed around them and because so my mm-hmm. um my mum she's told me a story about my granddad um her dad who um when period pads first were advertised on tv uh he was horrified so he'd like tut at the telly and um all of that kind of stuff and thought it was disgusting um mm. and that's yeah. literally just showing like a a cotton pad not even because definitely at this point they didn't show any kind of like liquid in it um certainly not any red liquid which <laughs> yeah. is only just also what is the liquid can we talk about it's just this? like a, in those it's just like a blue gel that is no but like it's always the like weirdest fucking colors like yes deep, because they like think because they think purple. showing like red blood is going to be too offensive to people which is oh, right, okay. honestly the most ridiculous thing in the world because what drives me mad about this uh people are quite happy to see for example, on 24 hours in A&E, see like a cut or watch a horror film with blood or an action film with someone that's got a gash on their forehead. And then the second that you see... Oh, not even that. Not even that. They'll happily watch One Born Every Minute. Yeah. And then the minute you see like the what might possibly be menstrual blood going into a period pad or a tampon you're like, oh good lord, get it away from me. That Mm. is vile. Yeah. And the kind of disparity in it is is absurd to me yeah yeah because my big thing is that everybody's like oh look at your lovely baby oh oh do they have that lovely baby smell that comes out of vagina like yeah that comes out of a bloody vagina so what's the difference between my pad and that baby yeah why are you not cuddling no i'm not i'm joking that's not what i'm getting why are you not cuddling my my bloody pad or tampon (laughs) (laughs) what what i'm getting at is um isn't it funny how everybody's like, oh, wasn't the birth beautiful? Mm. As soon as you have a tiny bit of blood coming out of your vagina, everyone's like... Everyone's like... Ah! Yeah, ah! disgusting. Oh, God. Um, so in terms of what the guidance says about menstruation, so it says, at the end of primary school, pupils should know um, key facts about puberty and the changing body, particularly from the ages of 9 through to 11, including physical and emotional changes. Uh, and it also says about menstrual well-being, including key facts about the menstrual cycle. And then at the end of secondary school, pupils should know uh, key facts about puberty, the changing adolescent body and menstrual well-being. Uh, the main changes that take place within males and females and the implications for emotional and physical health. But then the individual section about menstruation is uh, 89 words long in a 50 page document. And it says... Menstruation. The onset of menstruation can be confusing or even alarming for girls, already cis-normative, if they are not prepared. People should be taught key facts about the menstrual cycle, including what is an average period, range of menstrual products, and the implications for emotional and physical health. In addition to curriculum content, schools should uh, should also make adequate and sensitive arrangements to help girls prepare for and manage menstruation, including the requests for menstrual products. Schools will need to consider the... Uh, the needs of their cohort of pupils in designing this content. Um, I have a huge amount of issues with this. (laughs) I mean, my first issue is that it does only relate to girls. There's no mention of the fact that everyone should be taught this. Um, Not only because people who don't menstruate uh, should have an understanding of it to support those that do, um, and also to kind of help 
eradicate the stigma and the taboo around it um i also think that the fact that they're only referring to girls as we've already mentioned doesn't account for intersex peoples non non-binary peoples transgender peoples um who may also be bleeding and be completely just will not get the same information which is totally unfair um i also think it doesn't talk about how to manage your symptoms so it talks about it mentions kind of uh, what's an average period, implications for emotional and physical health. It doesn't tell you how to manage those things or what is what you should go to a doctor for or the kind of gynecological health issues that can arise uh, to do with periods and menstrual health. Um, or what I think is, is really important is how to track your cycle um, because that's something that can be hugely helpful if you are going through gynecological issues or period health issues, uh, knowing how to track your cycle and to do it effectively and all the different things that you do need to track and keep an eye on um can be really helpful when you then go to a doctor about any problems that you're having um so there's a lot for me that's missing and it's just so vague and i don't understand how a teacher is expected to look at this and understand exactly what a young person might need from this yeah what are your what are your thoughts on this do you have any have any thoughts on this i think it's likely that a teacher would look at that and uh, well, like with the lack of detail, they might use mm. their own kind of thoughts and intuition, which like if we said it before, like it yeah. could be great if you've got a really switched on teacher. It could be terrible if you've got a teacher who doesn't really care, doesn't have any idea about it. Like yeah, it, it doesn't really help agree. those people out at all. Um, and so that, I, like, I think it definitely needs to be clearer, mm. especially the points you've raised. As because well. also there's, so <clears throat> there is um, a small a small list of resources at the back of the um, guidance and some of it is specific to different okay. um Amazing. some of it's specific to different areas uh so they've got one on abuse and relationships one on consent uh one on lgbt inclusivity and a couple mm-hmm. on kind of mental health and a couple on um uh, sexting and online safety they don't have any specific to menstruation and or stis or yeah. um any of that so there's a lot missing and i think without external bodies and external training i don't see how this helps teachers at all <laughs> i just no. don't you also guys keep talking about like external bodies but i'm also imagine it's quite expensive for schools to That's do that a really interesting point as well and then, i like, mean yeah and that, like schools have no budgets whatsoever anyway we can't even like it's it's a stretch to authorize yeah. some, like buying glue sticks sometimes like to outsource the teaching of a large bit of your curriculum as well is like a, a huge demand but like it's a shame that it I think that's necessary. a really good point um, and Millie you'll definitely be able to talk about this more than I will and when initially when I was considering um, whether I could work with schools on, on this particularly with menstrual education the thing that did, kept coming up for me was are, are schools even going to want to pay for that because they, they're underfunded as it is um, so is it only going to be kind of the the private institutions that are able to pay for stuff like this um but Millie what's your experience with that Hmm. well (laughs) schools love schools love um expression shout out expression schools love it because they're a bunch of volunteers and it's Mm. great it's absolutely fantastic and they are fantastic and they're lovely 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 people um and they do great sessions they're great at what they do it's peer-to-peer so kids respond well to it however there are spaces that they can't get into and there are spaces that paid sex educators can get into 
Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Can you, um, yeah. for anyone that doesn't know, can you talk a bit about what what sex expression is? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, so sex expression, sex expression UK is a uh, UK charity, um, and they 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 run they're run as like branches in student unions. So it's like a it's like a volunteer society that you set up through the charity, or that you volunteer with through the charity. They're amazing, a lovely bunch of people. Um, and they go into schools, do they? They go into local schools. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they go into local schools. But yeah, so there are spaces that those that, that charity can get into and that that volunteer group can get into, um, which is so beneficial for schools. Mm, so hugely. beneficial for schools, especially if you don't have a budget. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does the expression, uh, I'm assuming they get they get trained, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe we should get somebody from Sex Expression on here to talk about this. Yeah, I think that would be a really good idea. Hello? Mm. <laughs> see you later Millie? for for the purpose yep. of the podcast we've actually lost millie now her um phone dies so her, her phone she's, died. She's, she's she's dead she's, she's gone no. um <laughs> millie can't come to the phone right now uh we're gonna start wrapping up but um for anyone that doesn't know the government this year at the beginning of this year um announced that they'd be uh setting aside some government funding for schools to be able to provide free period products for students which is amazing um, and a huge step forward for period poverty. Uh, the problem is that they have this huge pot of money aside for this, um, but schools have to apply and sign up for the scheme. And only oh, yeah. 40% of schools in the UK have signed up for it. So if you're listening to this from a school, you work at a school or you go to a school or you have connections with a school, or even if you're someone in the community that can just write or email to your school, um, Ask them whether they're ask your local schools if they've if they've signed up and if not let them know about it. Um, there's information on the government website about it. But yeah, that's uh, something I wanted to end on. Just a bit of a um, bit of a call to action for anyone listening oh, yeah. that we'll uh, works in schools or if you go to school or college, um, ask your school if they're signed up and if not, let them know how easy it is because it's completely free um, and you just have to register your school. So yeah. But we're going to end the podcast there because Millie's gone. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking to us, Will. I've actually, I've really enjoyed Sorry. this podcast. No worries. Like, it's been really beneficial for me as well. Yeah, that's really good. And for everyone else, we hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.